Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 12.14 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the, what, the 21st of September 2023, and this is episode 797 of Bitcoin And. It's a full palindrome show today, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to dump right into it with, well, I predicted it. I told you it was either last week or the week before when we were, I was talking about artificial intelligence and uh, how it was going to impact shitcoinery going forward into the future. I I had predicted just a couple of short weeks ago that it would be the case that somebody somewhere would get AI to spin up a shitcoin and then start selling it, and you were going to see more and more and more of it. Little did I know how quickly that was going to actually occur. Because it's already happened. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce you to Astro Pepe X. This is uh, from Decrypt.co and Andrew Thorvalis. A developer asked AI to name and launch a meme coin. It, ranked, it raked in $12 million in a single day. A single day, $12 million. He just, all he did was ask AI to do it, right? Well, there's a little bit more. It's a little bit more involved than that. We'll, we'll find out more here. An anonymous Ethereum developer has released code that he says instructs artificial intelligence tools to deploy new ERC-20 tokens. In a post on Tuesday, Twitter user Croissant ETH explained how he combined OpenAI's ChatGPT API with his own script to allow the chatbot to create real digital coins automatically. Quote, in essence, it asks ChatGPT to form an ERC-20 token using Open Zeppelin standards, explained the developer. Open Zeppelin is an open source framework for building secure smart contracts containing libraries of contracts written in Solidity, which is Ethereum's programming language. The token name and other parameters are designed to be passed in by values given by GPT in the code's constructor, he added. So far, Croissant said he's launched one public token using the tool. Astro Pepe X, the ticker is APX, which is available for trading on Uniswap. The new meme coin has already raked in $12.9 million in trading volume over the past 24 hours. Now, let's get down here. The name wasn't pulled from thin air. ChatGPT based the names it generates on real data from the top 10,000 tokens traded on Uniswap and cross-referenced them with market cap data from CoinMarketCap and CoinGecko. 
Some of the bot's testnet runs generated coins titled Inuverse and Quantum Pepe, other clear references to commonly known meme coins and ideas like Dogecoin, Pepe, and the Metaverse. Quote, the number of Pepe generations were quite funny, and it was super cool to see where ChatGPT actually input real creativity into the data, said Quassant in a message to Decrypt. Quote, it started to feel like it was growing a mind of its own, end quote. Quassant explained that other token specifics, such as token supply, can be directly configured or left up to ChatGPT's own creativity. More complex parameters, he said, are definitely possible. Quote, what I did was introduce GPT to the standard ERC-20 contract for simplicity, as I felt that was safe for a first attempt at this, he said. Quote, someone could just as well introduce some sort of special configuration with their own solidity code to make it mintable, introduce a tax rate, or even governance parameters, end quote. After generating a name and description for the coin, ChatGPT fed both to DALI, another open AI tool for image generation, to create an appropriate icon for the coin. Quassant designed his tool so that ownership of any contract generated by ChatGPT is immediately revoked and that all token supply is added to Uniswap liquidity upon creation along with two ETH. Back in May, digital artist Rhett Mankind said he had given ChatGPT instructions to generate a meme coin called Turbo, which went on to surpass a $50 million market cap. However, fewer elements of the token's creation were automated. Quassant told Decrypt that his project was largely inspired by Turbo, but modified to involve even less human intervention. Quote, I read the Turbo thread and saw how he did the process manually, and as a natural developer, I started looking into how to do this process automagically. Quote, GPT actually wrote the contract code for us, based on the ERC-20 contract standards that we provide for it in the script, he continued. Turbo did everything manually without feeding any data and training. It it, it was, hold on. (laughs) Turbo did everything manually without feeding any data and training it to be any more knowledgeable on crypto, end quote. Quassant said he plans to publish a user interface for his code allowing non-technical experts to launch tokens on Ethereum using ChatGPT. Other tokens, however, have already been generated by the tool with help from Quassant's more tech-savvy followers. Quote, I've seen at least 20 derivative projects from scanning local blockchain contract deployments, had several people reach out telling me they used the script successfully. Once a UI is built, I expect this number to grow massively. Okay, so there's there's the article. <laughs> um, I don't even know what to say about this. I mean, it's one thing to be right, but it's a, quite another thing to be right about something that you really don't want to be right about at all, honestly. It's just, it's bad juju. So, that said, <laughs> um, with that said, Hold on for a second. I got a I got a small problem here. Yeah, let's see if I can get this thing to not be such a a problem. Hold on, guys. Hold on. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. This is just weird. For some reason or another, my windows just don't want to cooperate with me at all. All right, there we go. Now, 
basically a little bit better set up. Um, uh, what to say about this? Okay, remember back in the day, and this is a you know, not terribly long ago, but still more than a few, you know, more than a couple of years years ago. There was a guy, and I cannot remember his name off the top of my head, but he wrote it or built a website that would allow you to spin up any kind of Bitcoin that you wanted. It basically took the Bitcoin code and then just gave you, it, it parameterized all of the inputs, like how many coins, what's, you know, what, uh, how many minutes do you want between blocks and all, all manner of other things, just all kinds of stuff were made into parameters that you could change on a user interface. And well, honestly, at first it was like, you know, some people used it and actually a lot of people used it. And then it just kind of went away. Nobody's really interested in it. The problem here is that with what he's describing is not only a way to spin up the coin, but it's a way to do market analysis and look at basically say, hey, name my coin given the, I don't know, top 20 coins by market cap or by trading volume it, or, or both for, for, you know, for that matter, you could actually say, look at both on CoinGecko and CoinMarketCap and then pick a name. And now we get into marketing and this is where you start infiltrating into the human mind in mass. This is a terrible thing. I wish I had been wrong. I really do. Because this is going to wreck a whole bunch of people because there's not going to be any way for anyone to know. Now, first of all, shitcoins are shitcoin. You should stay away from them. But now you've got a situation where the people that will spend their hard-earned money on shitcoins will not know if there's an actual team behind it. And yes, teams can be faked. We've seen that. I won't get into it. But at least there's some effort into building a website, right? In this particular case, there's no effort whatsoever. None at all. And it's got its hooks, marketing hooks, into the human psyche of those that are susceptible to spending their hard-earned coins or hard-earned money on some kind of altcoin or or shitcoin or derivative therein. Because that's what's next. Derivatives of AI-generated shitcoinery. You'll have futures contracts that are spun up this way. Now, how the hell that actually works? Well, it's going to have to all be on Uniswap and Sushi and that entire ecosystem over there. The The DeFi system is about to get plugged up in ways that even the DeFi guys never thought possible. And it's not going to stop. It's going to get worse. If this guy actually releases a UX, I expect it to actually have more traction than the UX or the the uh, the website that the homie that I mentioned before that spun that was allowing people to spin up their own version of Bitcoin ever saw it's going to be bad is and people are I mean I don't even know what the SEC does with this you know at least in the beginning of shit coinery there was people that actually had to do some kind of work and pick up telephones and write emails and do things and reach for stuff now you don't even have to do that. I, I I honestly wish, I honestly wish that I had been very 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 wrong about this. Uh, looking over here at DeFi Yogi, oh my God, 
Maybe it's the only thing to say, oh my God, Andes Torres had the opportunity in hands and wrecked. I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm <laughs> Annalise, An- the the judge, Annalise Torres. I don't know, man. It, you know, this is be kind of ex- it's kind of exactly what I thought was going to happen is happening, and it's but it's happening so much faster than I thought, and it's going to get faster still because I guarantee you there's going to be a developer out there that starts getting AI to get faster and better at being able to ask other AI agents to do this themselves. So now there won't even be a human in the mix. Somebody will just create a bot or some kind of AI agent that its entire job is to leverage other AI agents to spin up shit coins. It's bullish for Bitcoin because as more and more of this stuff floods the market, it'll become more and more evident just how worthless all this crap is. That's what I would think. But I have been wrong before. I just wish I had been wrong about this one. Let's move on to Bitcoin ordinals. Yes, you, you thought it was over, but no, we're, we're, we're going headlong, headlong into even more BS. Um, Bitcoin ordinals creator has proposed an overhaul of the inscription numbering system, probably because he has to, because inscriptions have been broken because of numbering. For a very long time, Bitcoin Magazine, uh, and who who is writing this one? Uh, oh, Reed McDonald is writing this one. Casey Rodarmer, the chief coder behind the Bitcoin Ordinals protocol, announced on Tuesday that he is proposing a significant change to the software, one that could be viewed with skepticism by its budding user base. Revealed in a post on X Tuesday, Rodarmer specifically proposed deprioritizing the canonical numbering system that assigns unique and coveted numbers to inscriptions created on the Bitcoin network. Since the protocol's inception, each digital artifact created using ordinals has been assigned a unique inscription number. These numbers, akin to serial numbers, have become an essential part of the digital arts identity. Lower numbered inscriptions have been historically perceived as more valuable, driving collectors to seek these coveted positions within the numbering hierarchy. For instance, Casey Rodarmer himself owns the highly sought after inscription zero. Notably, the change does not impact the numbering system the protocol assigns to individual Satoshis on the Bitcoin blockchain, which would still be awarded a distinct numerical score based on their ordering in the Bitcoin blocks. Still, Rod Armour sought to assuage the market in his comments discussing the change, expressing concern that the effort to maintain stable inscription numbers, quote, has resulted in complicated code and hindered the protocol's development, end quote. He continued, the need to ensure new changes do not alter the number of existing inscriptions has made the development process cumbersome and challenging. Rod Armour's proposal could spark a lively debate within the Ordinals community as well as among NFT collectors and crypto enthusiasts. However, it's noteworthy that Rod Armour himself believes the system is already unstable. Discussing past attempts to rectify the issues like adding negative numbered cursed inscriptions to the protocol, he wrote, Cursed inscriptions and negative inscription numbers have a number of downsides. An inscription number now does not tell you anything about the order in which the inscription was made. The logic required to keep track of which inscriptions are quote-unquote cursed is a source of bugs and complexity. 
blessing cursed inscription types, for example, collectively deciding that after a certain block height, certain cursed inscription types will no longer be assigned negative numbers and be assigned positive numbers instead, requires coordination. Cursed inscription numbers are permanently unstable, so a substantial number of inscription numbers are already unstable, even under the status quo. Rod Armour's solution, in his own words, would make the existing inscription numbers permanently unstable, changing how indexers would treat this information as opposed to eliminating them entirely. Some market observers, like Luxor's Charlie Spears, backed the move, stating, quote, inscription numbers are a shitcoin. <laughs> and overemphasis on the number has led to ill-conceived protocol decisions and weird market dynamics. Time will tell if the market agrees. Notably, the proposal comes on the heels of a rare public appearance by Rod Armour at the recent Ordinal Summit in Singapore, where he discussed the protocol's success and future innovations. As such, the pull request could signal that the developer is about to enter a period of renewed activity. So be aware, this shit's all on the horizon. However, it doesn't seem that what he's uh, talking about... Um, it, it uh, The way that this article reads... From headline into the body, there seems to be a discrepancy. The headline seems to address the fact that the inscription numbering system has been broken for a long time and that he was going to fix it. But this doesn't seem to be what it is at all, which leads me to believe that I don't think that Casey Rodarmer, I don't think, I don't know if he, what, what am I trying to say? It, I, I don't know what's going on here. I literally have no idea what's going on here, except for this discussion about cursed and, and blessed inscriptions. But it looks like this is never going to die, or at least not in the in the very short term. People are still interested in it. I can tell by mempools and, and how many transactions are going on along with the median transaction value. Every time median transaction values are being listed in the, you know, cent range of a United States dollar, like, you know, 10 cents, 18 cents, I know that inscriptions are running wild or the ordinals part of the inscriptions ordinals case study is running wild when it's like 50 bucks, 75 bucks. That tells me that there's actual real economic value being traded between people on the Bitcoin main chain. And that's not probably what it is today, given what I've seen from mempools already. But this entire thing is just jacked. And that AI thing that is on ETH, fully expect it to come over and start getting embedded into the Ordinal's inscription debacle. All right, so just be aware Again, this all boils down to my running thesis about Bitcoin. If Bitcoin allows a thing to occur, then that thing will occur. It just will. It, that, that We can like it. We can hate it. We can be neutral about it. It does not matter. It's going to happen. An AI spinning up ordinals is going to happen. Just be aware. Okay, into the BitBoy saga. This is out of Decrypt. Kate Irwin writes, After failed bid to reclaim namesake company, Ben Bitboy Armstrong begs fans for cash. Oh, joy. Ben Bitboy Armstrong, former host of the Bitboy Crypto YouTube channel, 
has been denied an emergency injunction request filed to the Cobb County Superior Court in Georgia as a part of his ongoing lawsuit against Hit Network CEO T.J. Shedd and Shedd's daddy, literally his dad. New documents filed this week revealed. The Cobb County's clerk office told Decrypt that a new filing in the case shows the order as denied with documents reading that plaintiffs failed to meet their burden to support the case for Armstrong's injunction against the Sheds, who are both Hit Network employees. Timothy Shedd Sr. is the CEO at Hit Network. Armstrong, the prominent crypto personality who previously drove a Lamborghini and wore Gucci-branded tracksuits, is now raising funds for his legal defense. Fans have already donated roughly $60,000 worth of Ethereum and Bitcoin in less than 24 hours, according to Etherscan and blockchain data for two of Armstrong's Strong's crypto wallet. He initially filed the suit against the Sheds on August the 30th, but withdrew it one day later. The Sheds then filed their own suit against Armstrong last week on September the 11th. Armstrong refiled his suit against the Sheds on September the 12th, and a hearing at the Cobb County Superior Court took place September the 14th. While Armstrong has not been granted temporary relief, the lawsuits are ongoing. Armstrong's complaint against the Sheds sought an injunction that would force them to return control of the company, including access to its email, social media, and financial accounts. Multiple legal filings state that Armstrong owns 67% of the company that he has been removed from. In the court hearing last week, Armstrong's attorneys, uh, James, or attorney James Merritt alleged that the Sheds violated Georgia law by removing Armstrong from the company, arguing that the situation was akin to the employee stealing the company from the boss. Merritt argued that Armstrong and Shedd have never been equal partners at the company and wrote off the allegations that Armstrong had physically assaulted Shedd as water cooler rumors that were being used to muddy the waters in the case. Merritt also claimed that since Armstrong's removal, the company has lost over $1 million in revenue, as well as tens of thousands of subscribers. According to Social Blade Data, Armstrong's former BitBoy YouTube channel, which has since been rebranded to Discovery Crypto, has lost roughly 20,000 subscribers in the past month. Specifically, the channel lost 10,000 subscribers on the single day of August the 30th, which was the day of Armstrong's first complaint, and again on September the 12th, the day the Sheds filed their complaint. The Sheds' attorney, George Koenig, announced at the hearing that the company is in divorce mode and is looking for a buyout. It, quote, it's beyond repair, Koenig said of the relationship between Armstrong and the Sheds, alleging that Armstrong did commit physical assault and also feigned weird sexual things with people, whatever the hell that means. The Sheds complaint filed against Armstrong alleges that Armstrong was physically attacking employees at the hit network offices by groping, grabbing, punching, pulling, thrusting, tackling, placing hands on, bending over, and throwing filled bottles of protein shake at employees and committing other acts that were lewd, obscene, and humiliating. Armstrong has previously denied the allegations of physical assault against Shedd. Armstrong told Decrypt that the rest of the physical allegations were made up in an effort to attack his character. The Shedd's filing alleges that Armstrong sent varying sums of money as large as $50,000 per month for non-business purposes to an independent contractor. But Armstrong told Decrypt in a message that such funds were actually sent to marketing contractor Cassandra Wolf as part of her 5% commission for securing the company's $15 million sponsorship deal with 
crypto gambling firm stake. What is with these people and their gambling promotions? It's gambling is not good for you, ladies and gentlemen, just saying. Um, (laughs) That's about it. That's about all that we really need to know is that he's now begging for money. So Ben Bitboy Armstrong begging for money from his fans because he got ousted from a company that he allegedly has 67% control over. May I ask the question, WTF is going on over there? If you own 67% of the company, you call the sheriff. That's it. So if you don't own 67% of the company and you have not a leg to stand on, you kind of can't call the sheriff. But if that's true, you call the sheriff. That's who you call. You call the county sheriff. Wherever your headquarters is based, you don't call the police department. You call the county sheriff. That's what you do. So all of this is in question. Clearly. But it is kind of funny and you know, the fact that he's throwing protein shakes at people is actually kind of hilarious, honestly. But we've got bigger fish to fry. Binance plans to delist stable coins in Europe, citing a MICA compliance. Okay, this is much bigger. Savannah Fortress from Cointelegraph. An executive at cryptocurrency exchange Binance said in a public hearing with the European Banking Authority that it plans to delist stable coins for the European market by June of 2024. Marina, and there's no way I could pronounce her last name, head of legal at Binance Finance said that since no projects have yet been approved, we're heading to a delisting of all stable coins in Europe on June the 30th. Quote, this could have significant impact on the market in Europe compared to the rest of the world. End quote. These comments follow the passing of Europe's landmark crypto regulation, the Markets in Crypto Asset Law, or MICA, which occurred earlier this year in June. The legislation's provisions for stablecoins are set to come into effect a year later in June of 2024. Elizabeth Noble, a team leader for MICA at the EBA, responded to Maria saying, quote, There is no transitional agreement for these types of stablecoin tokens. The rules will apply from the end of June next year. End quote. Cointelegraph has reached out waiting for, you know, comment. Binance has, however, changed its mind once before regarding delisting assets. On June the 26th, it reversed its decision to delist privacy coins in Europe due to a revision of its operations to comply with European Union standards and also after hearing feedback from its community and multiple projects. So, a D, a f- if they don't say which stable coins, so I can only presume that they mean all stable coins. So Binance in Europe is planning on delisting every single stable coin from its exchange. The hits keep on coming for Binance. And Binance, you, you may love it. You may hate it. Again, you may be neutral on it. It's a huge thing in cryptoverse, right? It just is. It's a thing. And it's been around for years and years and years. And it's a behemoth and it's being attacked. It doesn't mean that you have to defend it. And I certainly am not going to defend it, but the fallout probably going to be pretty ugly. And again, we're, we're still in the second part of the hurricane that is coming over us that started with the whole Terra Luna thing. We're not out of that. And anybody who's told you that we were out of that and now it's just smooth sailing is probably lying to you or they don't know any better. But we've got another one. Bitcoin pioneer Hal Finney explains ZK proofs and rediscovered footage. 
If anybody has been on Noster or Twitter and has seen this old footage of uh, Hal Finney that surfaced and you're wondering why the hell is this here? This is why it's here. Tim Hockey decrypt. A video of American software developer and early Bitcoin pioneer Hal Finney talking about zero knowledge proofs 25 years ago has resurfaced on Twitter this week. The footage is taken from the 18th Annual International Cryptology Conference at the University of California, Santa Barbara, in 1998, a.k.a. Crypto 98. Quote, I want to prove to you that I know a message that hashes to a given hash value using SHA-1 hash. I don't want to reveal anything about the message to you. It's a zero-knowledge proof, and I've written a program to do this that I will tell you about. Finney begins. Later in the talk, he credits Ronald Kramer and Ivan Damgard for having invented the zero-knowledge proof system that he's demonstrating and praises it. Quote, they presented it this Thursday at this conference, zero-knowledge proofs for finite field arithmetic. Very efficient and quite flexible, Finney called it. In the world of crypto, zero-knowledge proofs are a type of protocol used to help secure and scale a blockchain network. They're most notably employed in roll-ups. Rollups are a type of scaling solution that, quote, rolls multiple transactions together. The final transaction is presented to the blockchain as a single transaction. There are two main types of rollups, optimistic and zero knowledge. Optimistic rollups assume that all the information rolled together is valid while allowing observers to contest any transactions and submit it to the Ethereum network validators to confirm and correct any errors. Zero-knowledge rollups, also known as ZK rollups, on the other hand, rely on zero-knowledge proof cryptography, which allows a key detail, such as how old someone is, to be mathematically proven without disclosing additional information like the person's birth date. Harold Thomas Finney II was born in California in 1956 and died in Arizona in 2014 from complications caused by motor neurone disease. True to his Futurist ideals, his body has been cryopreserved by the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. On January the 11th, 2009, Finney tweeted that he's running Bitcoin, which, if true, could mean he was the second person to run the software after pseudonymous creator Satoshi Nakamoto. The following day, he received 10 BTC from Nakamoto, the first Bitcoin transaction ever concluded. Given the scarcity of detail about Nakamoto's identity, some within the community today believe that Hal Finney was likely Satoshi, or at least one of a group of developers behind the pseudonym. At the end of last year, Finney's Twitter account came back to life after a decade of inactivity. Quote, this is Fran Finney, tweeted Finney's widow under his Twitter handle. I am tweeting for Hal to avoid his account being purged by Elon, end quote. Finney also first referred to NFTs two decades before the fact. Okay, so I did not know that Hal Finney actually called the advent of NFTs that long ago. I I don't know. Do you think he's Satoshi or at least part of the, if it was, if, if Satoshi Nakamoto was a group, do you think that Hal Finney was part of that group? If it was a single person and it was done all by a single person, do you think Hal Finney was that person? Let me know in the comments uh, just because I don't know. I stopped conjecturing on who Satoshi Nakamoto was a long time ago because honestly, I don't honestly feel that it's relevant. But 
it is what it is. So there you go. All right. Um, Bloomberg analyst reveals under the radar Bitcoin achievement that few industries can. The Daily HODL, written by the Daily HODL staff, Bloomberg's intelligence crypto market analyst Jamie Kautz says that Bitcoin is pulling off one major achievement that is flying under the radar. Kautz says on the social media platform Twitter that at the same rate that Bitcoin adoption is increasing, its network's carbon emissions are declining, a rare phenomenon, quote, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Bitcoin as a global monetary network is scaling while its carbon impact declines. Few industries can claim that achievement, end quote. According to Coots, one of the drivers behind the carbon footprint reduction is Bitcoin miners turning to more renewable energy, uh, energy to reduce cost. With energy constituating well over 50% of mining operations cost, the incentive to inquire the cheapest energy sources is contributing to the network's rising hash rate while simultaneously reducing the industry's emissions or carbon intensity, end quote. According to Coots, sustainable energy of total energy used for Bitcoin mining is now greater than 50% and climbing. Quote, this percentage has been rising since inception, but kicked in a gear higher when China banned mining in May of 2021, knocking out several fossil fuel powered operations. Coots says that the renewable energy increase has reduced the amount of Bitcoin's carbon intensity, which refers to how many grams of carbon dioxide are released uh, to produce a single kilowatt hour of electricity. Quote, consequently, emissions intensity has declined from 600 to 296 and a half grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour since then. Critically, the event also helped further decentralize the mining industry, end quote. Another data point Coots looks at is the relative decline of carbon emissions per dollar of market cap. He says, quote, as we know, Bitcoin remains 60% below the 2021 all-time high, but since 2019, network value has increased 335%, outpacing every single asset, but more importantly, the monetary debasement. Since 2019, emissions from Bitcoin mining are flat in absolute terms. Uh, it's up 6.1%. While in relative terms, i.e. emissions per dollar of market cap, they have collapsed 75%. So Bitcoin mining, yeah, do it's doing doing what it does. Doing what it does. It's just we're continuously finding the cheapest energy that we possibly can and I you know I'm I I don't get really hysterical about this whole Bitcoin mining is going to destroy the world because of all the other things that we use electricity for. And I just don't think that there's that much reason to get hysterical and run around tearing your hair out, right? I do like the I do like the carbon emission discussion because when I look at you know all these people that are ripping their hair out trying to figure out ways to get carbon out of the atmosphere in the form of carbon dioxide, I know that it boils down to agriculture and I'm in love with agriculture. And I know that there are systems in place that can do heavy-duty drawdown of CO2 in the environment and, and, and get paid for it. So I do listen to the arguments, but I'm not hysterical about it. And even though this is, quote-unquote, good news for Bitcoin, honestly, essentially, it doesn't really matter. 
But it is going to matter to the people that are using it as an effective, and it has been an effect, fairly effective attack weapon against Bitcoin. The hysterics that, that, that are out there, that their real reason that they hate Bitcoin is because they can't control the money, but they can't let anybody know that. So what they do use is this wrapper. It's going to kill the environment because it's carbon heavy. Mm, that started that wrapper is starting to get wet and dissolve like so much tissue paper being flushed down a freaking toilet let's run the numbers CNBC futures and commodities. I got oil. West Texas Intermediate is down 0.01% to $89.65. Brent North Sea is down a quarter to 93.29. Natural gas, however, taking it between the legs, 3.88% to the downside, $2.62 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is up scant to $2.62 a gallon. All of your shiny metal rocks are having a bad day. Why is this happening? Because they didn't change, the Fed yesterday didn't change interest rates, kept them flat. You thought that was good news, but what happened? The yield on all the United States Treasury bonds went up. And that means that the face value of all those Treasury bonds went down. Now, exactly how that's connected to risk assets, you're going to actually have to, I'd have to really have a long discussion with somebody like Greg Foss, but it always happens this way. So why did the yields of the bonds go up if the Fed just decided to keep all the rates the same? Because that's the primary driver of all these interest rates on all these other instruments. And the answer is, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know. It's just what traders are doing out there. It looks to me like there's a bond sell-off going on. And that because you're having to trade, like let's say I bought a bond for 100 bucks and it's got a 5% uh, coupon attached to it. Well, let's say that Jerome Powell gets a a hair up his butt and he says, you know what, we're going to raise rates to 6%. All of a sudden, I get a bump in my yield on my bond, but the face value goes down to, let's say, $75. And then I say, shit, before this thing, before Jerome does anything else, I got to get rid of this thing. I will take the haircut of 25%. Sam, will you please buy this bond, this $100 face value bond for 75 bucks? And Sam says, sure. I'll do that, but I don't want to pay 75. I want to pay 70. Well, the fair market value right now is 75, according to all these other people. Yeah, well, I don't give shit one about all these other people. I'll give you $70 for it. I say, okay, that flashes a signal to the market that I'm really thinking that this bond is worth 70 and not 75, pushing down the bond value, raising the yield. That's the only thing that I can think of as a mechanism as to why, without the Fed doing anything to interest rates at all, that all the bonds went up. But every time that happens, risk assets get, well, kicked in the crotch. Gold is down one and a third. Silver is down over a half. Platinum is down one and three quarters of a point, while copper is down 2.15%. Palladium down one full point. Even ag is not escaping this. 
We got lumber down almost a point. Wheat is down two and a quarter. Soybeans are down two. Corn is down 1.5%. Coffee's down over two. And rough rice is down damn near one. The only winners in the green today are sugar and cocoa. And cocoa's up only a half. Sugar up is up only a quarter. Live cattle, however, is down a full point. Lean hogs are down damn near 5%. Feeder cattle are down just over a full point. Dow, not looking too good either. It's down almost a full point. S&P is down a point and a half. NASDAQ is down over a point and a half. And the S&P mini is exactly the same as NASDAQ, over a point and a half to the downside. Now, real money had its problems too. Bitcoin right now is trading at, well, according to bitinfocharts.com, $26,591. And average transaction values are 0.6 Bitcoin. Median transaction values are $6.61. So less there's less inscriptions and ordinals going on and more actual real value being traded. That's my take on that number. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 50 seconds, 0.35 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, and 46 and a third taken in fees overall in the last 24-hour period. Uh, We have a half a point percentage point rise in hash rate, bringing us to 393.92 exahashes per second, which is woefully short of the 502 exahashes that we saw a couple of weeks ago. Uh, shitcoin indicator, of course, is Doge. It is at 6.1 United States pennies. We've got a $518.7 billion market cap. That is 4.03% of gold's market cap. You can purchase 13.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, and I don't know why, but there are 19,491,993.05 BTC in circulation, and 4,853 of them sons of bitches are in the Lightning Network, valued at $129 million. That's being run over 16,240 nodes, sporting 69,000... 118 payment channels and 78.1% of all of it is being run over Tor. Mempools. Uh, what are we doing with mempools today? We are at like, I don't know, man, 200 and I don't know, 22, 23 blocks carrying 473 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear at priorities of uh, 42 Satoshis per V-byte for high priority and 28 Satoshis per V-byte for low priority. If you have any transactions that you've put a under 7.4 Satoshi per V-byte fee on, it's going to get purged from mempools around the world. Mempool.space's uh, hash rate is at 414.7 exahashes per second. We'll split the difference and we'll take 410, ex- no, well, actually we'll take 407 exahashes per second. And I am off the top 10 charts, but it doesn't matter because of the good people like you that have at least tried People like Wartime Psycho with 3333 says, they're son of my balls. Thank you, Wartime Psycho. Yegro with a row of sticks says, that hard drive sharing idea sounds like a good one. Kind of reminds me of the Noster database that JB55 has been working on. And thank you, sir. No, thank you. Dubrovko with 1110 says, I like you live streaming and I will promote it. It probably does have an effect on your rankings, but it's still a good step. Missed you on Wednesday. I'm really looking forward to the next boot to drop on the SBF saga. Yeah, I wasn't here yesterday. It just, things happen. You just, you know, thank God I don't work for NBC. Well, if I did, I guess I'd be getting paid $54 million a year or whatever the talking heads get. I ain't getting shit. 
<laughs> I'm not getting $54 million a year. So if I have to take a day off, by God, I'm going to take one. Pies with 420. The signal is strong. This is the way. It certainly is. Axelrod with 411. Really enjoyed your full article reads, missed you and your dry humor. I would buy that for a dollar. Movie quote? Yes. Buying that for a dollar is a movie quote from, oh God, what is it? RoboCop. The first RoboCop. It's, yeah. If you haven't seen RoboCop, you need to go see it. God's Death 370 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Axelrod with 100 says, thank you, sir. Wartime Psycho says, no, sir. Thank you. Fat Toshi comes back, says, how David can make confused. Yegro with no, sir. Thank you. God's death with a hundred says, thanks again. Pies with a hundred says, thank you, sir. Wartime psycho comes back with you, sir. Thanks. Yegro with sir. You thank Fatoshi with thanks. God's death ends us up and says, and again, you know, there's no way I can transition out of that. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Uh, U.S. anti-CBDC bill moves one step closer to passing. Cointelegraph, and who's writing it? But David Atlee, the CBDC Anti-Surveillance State Act, aimed at preventing the Federal Reserve from issuing a central bank digital currency, has passed the House Financial Services Committee. According to a press release distributed by the bill's author, Representative Tom Emmer, on September the 20th, the CBDC Anti-Surveillance State Act was passed out of the committee and favorably reported to the House floor. That means the bill will next face a congressional vote. Emmer stressed that the bill has already gained the support of 60 members of Congress. In his remarks regarding the committee's decision, Emmer once again emphasized the dangers of state control over currency and its incompatibility with American values. Quote, American values, American values. That is what the future global digital economy needs. If not open, permissionless, and private, just like cash, a central bank digital currency is nothing more than a CCP-style surveillance tool that can be weaponized to oppress the American way of life. End quote. Emmer and 49 original co-sponsors reintroduced the CBDC Anti-Surveillance State Act in the United States House of Representatives on September the 14th. It was first formally introduced to Congress in February of 2023. The bill contains provisions that would prevent the Federal Reserve from issuing a CBDC to individuals and bar the Fed from utilizing any CBDC for the purpose of implementing monetary policy. In his recent interview with Cointelegraph, Emmer called digital assets a sleeper issue in United States politics, both at the state and federal levels. According to Emmer, there is a gravitational divide in the United States in which residents could push back on policies that potentially inhibit the digital space and in doing so, flesh out tech, uh, flush out technologically ignorant lawmakers. So it's passed the committee. Now it goes for a congressional vote. That means that it can only be voted on inside the House of Representatives from whence it came. So the way it works is that a bill, like depending on where it starts, either in the Senate or the House of Representatives, we have a bicameral system in the United States. In this particular case, this bill started in the House of Representatives. That bill, to be approved, to even be voted upon, has to go through committee, sometimes more than one. 
In this particular case, it went through the House Financial Services Committee and they approved the bill. That means nothing except that it now has gained one more step and can now go to the floor of the House of Representatives to be voted on. If the House passes the bill, that bill will go to the Senate. That Senate will take it through a committee. And then if that bill passes out of committee, at least I think, I'm pretty sure that they can put it on a committee. It could go right to the floor, but I'm pretty sure that they're going to want to take it to committee. And if it doesn't pass committee, it will die right there. If they put it right on the bill, right on the floor of the Senate to vote on, and they vote no, that bill dies. If they vote yes, then both the Senate and the House of Representatives have passed a bill, and its next step after that is to go to the President of the United States to either get signed into law or become vetoed. So this fight isn't over, but this is actually a pretty good step that it was able to get out of committee. Otherwise, it would have just died in committee. Uh, Where are we at? Let's do... I want to do one for uh, another one first. Here we go. Oh, Ethereum. Yes, I know. Shitcoin number one. Ethereum wallet suddenly sells all of its ETH for millions of dollars in stable coins after lying dormant for nearly four years. The Daily Hodel staff writing for Daily Hodel. A long dormant Ethereum wallet suddenly sold all $4.18 million worth of its ETH on Tuesday. The wallet had held on to 2,591 ETH since November of 2018, when the second largest crypto asset by market cap was trading at around 110 bucks. Ethereum is trading at 1,634 at time of writing, meaning the whale's ETH holding skyrocketed by a staggering 1,385% in five years. Look on chain notes, the whale swapped the Ethereum for the stablecoin USDT and die. It's not the only large wallet to dump its Ethereum holdings after a long period of inactivity. Look on Chain also reports that a different whale had been dormant for two years before trans- transferring 10,000 ETH worth $16.5 million last week. It later deposited those 10,000 ETH to the crypto exchange Binance KuCoin OKX via three addresses. According to the blockchain tracker, That second whale also transferred another 10,000 ETH this week. Ethereum whales have demonstrated bearish behavior in the second and third quarters of 2023, according to the crypto analytics firm Santiment. Explain Santiment's director of uh, marketing, Brian Quinvillian, in late August. Sorry, that was a, uh, um, it's, it's, it's bad formatting in this webpage. Just bear with me. Quote, There's been about a four-month-long dump in supply from addresses holding between 10 and 10,000 ETH. They really were accumulating significantly at the end of last year, but profit-taking from these key tiers happened hard and happened quickly, right as the price was hitting around a one-year high of approximately $2,120. So ETH whales are dumping ETH for stablecoin. For stablecoin. Does that mean that they're going to get back into ETH? I don't know. They could because they're into a stablecoin. They did basically are not dumping it into Bitcoin. They're not dumping it into Tron. They're not dumping it into, B, God forbid, BNB. <clears throat> they're not dumping it into anything but the stablecoin. So anything can happen. Anything, anything can happen. But what I'm not seeing is a whole bunch of whales in Bitcoin dumping into stablecoin. Well, at least I haven't seen the news. 
I mean, we're in this weird volatility. Yeah. And people are going to take profit, buy lows, hopefully for them sell highs, but you know, that's never going to happen. They're going to buy high and, and sell the dip. That's how it normally works. Oh, okay. Into this one. Orange pill app. For those of you who know and love orange pill app, uh, this, I think this came to me from, oh, Arceris. Arceris brought this to me. Um, Orange Pill app has received a cease and desist letter. It's a takedown request, essentially, uh, from some people called the Orange Group. Okay, so there's this company named Orange Group. There's a company named Orange Pill App Incorporated. Orange Pill App Incorporated received a letter from Orange Group telling them they couldn't use the name Orange App. Check this shit out, man. <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole letter, but here's basically the, the here's the too long didn't read. Um, the goal is to connect Bitcoin enthusiasts and create local communities. That's the whole point behind Orange Pill app. But the Orange Group holds its trademarks in various other sectors, having nothing to do with social media or getting people together or dating or anything like that. They're in real estate and they have like a small, it's like a small hedge fund, right? And they don't have anything to do with Bitcoin. They don't have anything to do with dating. They don't have nothing to do with anything that Orange Pill app is into. And yet Orange Pill app has had to respond by writing a letter back to these guys saying that they're really not going to entertain the idea I appreciate the guys over at Orange Pill App Incorporated for standing strong and saying basically, no, you don't have a leg to stand on here. And honestly, who would write that letter? How do they even know about Orange Pill App? How do the guys at Orange Group that has nothing to do with Bitcoin, as far as we know, nothing to do with dating, nothing to do with anything, how do they figure out that somebody's using the term orange? Like, I can't use orange? For a company name like, I don't know, Orange Chest Freezer Incorporated. Are they going to send me a letter? See, this shit is out of hand. This whole thing is completely out of hand in the United States. <clears throat> Start OS and Umbral OS <clears throat> is now letting you host or self-host private AI models. Uh, so uh, like Start9 and Umbral are both joining the fray. <clears throat> Quote, Start9 the company behind Start OS today announced the addition of Stable Diffusion, a text-to-image diffusion model, and FreeGPT, a large language model chat interface, to the Start9 marketplace. Um, let's see, what do we got about Umbral? Umbral has announced that they're introducing Llama GPT, a self-hosted offline and private AI chatbot powered by Llama 2 with absolutely no data leaving your device. Your Umbral Home, Raspberry Pi Umbral, or custom Umbral OS server can run it with just 5 gigabytes of RAM. <clears throat> you can install Llama GPT in one click from the App Store on your Umbral. It's a 5.5 gigabyte download and may take a while to install depending on your internet speeds. Llama GPT is open source and can be installed on any x86 or ARM64 system that has Docker installed. So now both start and Umbral are going to load in AI models. Somehow or another, it's almost like Bitcoin and artificial intelligence 
are going together like chocolate and peanut butter, peas and carrots, you know, think of anything else. And to the point that they've already gotten to where they're coming into softwares that I would run my full node on as well as my full lightning node on. As as stupid as the very first story that I started today's show with is the using artificial intelligence to spin up and find a good name for some shit coin that you can rip people off with, that doesn't mean that AI itself is not something that can be used in not only an ethical and moral manner, but in a productive manner. It can be. But the problem with humans is that we always find the slickest, greasiest, most underhanded shit to begin with. But thank God, people like Start9 and Umbral are at least trying to put it into their packages so that hopefully some good people will be able to put it to some ethically productive use. What use will that be? I don't know, man. I I don't know. I just don't. But it is what it is. So just be aware that that is going on. If you uh, are running a Start9 or an Umbral, look into your stores. And if you're interested in putting those things on your on your thing, um, you know you might want to give it a shot. I don't know if uh, about Start OS or a, a Start9 uh, gear or Umbral because I don't use them. Although I've been wanting to get some Start9 stuff. So I don't know if taking those off are going to present a problem, but I doubt it. I can put like apps on and take them off in my node BTC with nothing more than a reboot of the node. So I don't think it's all that dangerous. Uh, River Financial or River now is working on non-custodial, no KYC lightning payment solutions for developers. So they were doing it for themselves, but now it looks like they're kind of like helping some developers out here. Let's find out more from No BS Bitcoin. By the way, that's who gave you the uh, Start9 and Umbral story. Quote, we're working on an upgrade to River Lightning that will allow any developer globally, non-custodial, no KYC, to sign up and start programmatically sending and receiving Lightning payments within minutes, drastically reducing the friction required to build on Lightning Network, said River CEO Alexander Leishman on Twitter. Quote, we've been working on some cool tech for the past year that will power this. We will be sharing more in the months to come. Leishman also confirmed the solution in the works is being built with Lightning Dev Kit, or the LDK. So they're helping developers at this point. Uh, River getting into the lightning game pretty hard and fast. Uh, Keep an eye on the guys over at River. Uh, God knows I am. In fact, I'm pretty much uh, certain that we have uh, selected River for on-ramping BTC purchases for one of my family companies. Uh, again, my family companies are not big. Okay, they're they're not. They're they're very very small. But they do have some money, and I finally convinced the other partners in the companies uh, to start leveraging Bitcoin and put it on the balance sheet. And we were using Swan, but I cannot stomach the whole Fortress and Prime Trust thing going on. And as much as I like the guys over at Swan, I like Corey. I think he's a good guy. I'm going to try a different service, so we have decided to opt in and go with River, just so you know. Uh, Fishing victim sends an eye-watering $4.5 million in USDT to a scammer. Braden Lindria has it for us from Cointelegraph. 
An unwitting cryptocurrency holder has reportedly fallen victim to an eye-watering $4.46 million phishing scam. According to data from Etherscan, $4.46 million in Tether was withdrawn from a Kraken crypto exchange wallet and eventually sent to an address ending in ACA7. Blockchain security firm PeckShield labeled the address as being owned by a known phishing scammer. Another blockchain scam platform, Scam Sniffer, suggested that on September the 20th, the funds were sent to an address linked to a fake CoinOne crypto mining exchange. Scam Sniffer linked to a user-created Dune Analytics dashboard suggesting attacks of this nature have seen scammers steal approximately $337 million in Tether in total impacting as many as 21,953 individuals. Holy smack. The global anti-scam organization says this type of approval mining scam usually tricks victims into authorizing unlimited withdrawals from the cryptocurrency wallet. Quote, when you create a self-custody crypto wallet, you obtain a private key that is safeguarded through encryption. However, The fraudsters do not need your seed phrase, GASO said, explaining on its website that when a victim clicks to partake in the fake mining pool, they're clicking on a button that will request $10 to $50 network fees in Ether. While it seems reasonable, GASO suggests that it is is to trick the user. Quote, this is merely a front to obtain your digitally signed authorization allowing unlimited access to your wallet via the tether smart contract okay if that's possible using the tether smart contract then it is of my opinion that tether has a massive problem just in general just in the architecture of their smart contract that shit shouldn't be possible in that smart contract you should have some kind of buffer some kind of firewall, something like a smart contract that talks to another smart contract. And if you're dumb enough to release the locks on both of them, well, then it's nobody's fault but your own. But this one, I don't know. There is something about what this this last sentence, that it's merely a front to obtain your digitally signed authorization via the USDT smart contract. There is something about that sentence that gives me the willies. Do not, do not, do not fall for this shit. Could you imagine losing four and a half million dollars right now? If you had four and a half million dollars because you got lucky or, or you timed the markets or, or, or whatever, that's your cash. Could you imagine sending it to a scammer? At least you didn't lose Bitcoin. That's all I have to say about it. Okay. <clears throat> uh, Where are we at? Let's see how... Okay, we'll do this one, and then we will go, if I can get to it. How proof-of-work force is helping union and firefighter pensions save with Bitcoin? Bitcoin Magazine, written by Bitcoin Magazine, retirement savings have always been a priority for hardworking individuals, especially those who belong to unions or serve as firefighters. These individuals dedicate their lives to protect and serve their communities, often putting their own safety on the line. Ensuring that they have a secure financial future is just one way to show appreciation for their commitment. Enter Dominic Bay, a visionary entrepreneur who has revolutionized retirement savings for uniform and firefighting pensions through the concept of proof of workforce. 
understanding the concept of proof of workforce. Proof of Workforce is a nonprofit helping workers, unions, and businesses with education-based Bitcoin adoption with an eye-innovative approach to retirement savings that capitalizes on the unique skills and expertise of union members and firefighters. It recognizes the value of their labor and the stability of their careers using these attributes as a basis for investment and growth. Union members and firefighters play a crucial role in society, dedicating their lives to serving and protecting others. Their hard work and commitment deserve recognition and rewards, not just during their active years, but also during retirement. Proof of Workforce acknowledges the importance of their contributions and provides a platform for them to build a secure financial future. Proof of Workforce brings a new level of financial empowerment to union members and firefighters' retirement savings. It removes the barriers of traditional pension plans, which often limit investment options and restrict access to funds. With Proof of Workforce, individuals have greater control over their retirement savings by having the ability to invest in Bitcoin. Furthermore, Proof of Workforce promotes financial education and literacy among its participants. It provides resources and support to help union members and firefighters make informed decisions about their retirement savings. By empowering individuals with knowledge and understanding, Proof of Workforce aims to create a community of financially savvy retirees who can navigate the complexities of the modern financial world. Bay's vision for union and firefighter pensions goes beyond just improving investment options. He envisions a future where retirement savings become a tool for financial education and empowerment. Through his initiatives, he aims to educate pension participants about the potential of Bitcoin and empower them to make informed decisions about their financial future. The long-term effects of Bitcoin investments in retirement savings are yet to be fully realized. However, proponents argue that the potential for significant returns can drastically improve pension funds' overall health. Higher returns mean increased stability and potentially greater profits for pension recipients, ensuring a dignified retirement for those who have dedicated their lives to public service. So there you go. It's a retirement plan for union guys. All right. And here's the thing with unions is probably the most difficult sector of retirement planning for any asset to break into. It is, I mean, it's, you want to talk about firewalls? Not only are there federal, state, and the local union firewalls in place, but it's a tight-knit group. This is like, you got to remember where, where, where unions came from. Unions were born at the same time that the mafia in the United States was really getting good at management. You know, you know, Vinny? You think Vinny's stupid. No, Vinny ain't stupid. No, Vinny knows. Vinny knows how to operate. In fact, the mafia, probably one of the best management structures that the United States has ever seen. Why? Probably because, you know, it came out of Italy. What's Italy's history? The Catholic Church and the Roman Empire. How much more management do you need? Literally, how much training? How much management training Past that shit, do you actually need? These guys were steeped in it. The mafia, as they came over to the United States, year, decades and decades, hundreds of years, you know, a hundred years ago and more. When they were coming over, they were coming over as dyed-in-the-wool Italians. Italians know how to operate. They just do. Their entire, that entire peninsula, new management 
beyond anybody's wildest imaginings. How do you think the, the Roman Empire got as big as it did? They were all the way in North Germany, for God's sakes. They had the island of Britain. They had Ireland. They had everything, man. They had everything. Well, I don't, I don't know if they had Ireland, but they definitely had Britain, right? They had all of North Africa. They had Spain. They had Turkey. They, they had all of Palestine and Israel. I mean, they had Egypt, for God's sakes. It was, it, the, the management alone is amazing. And then these guys come over, and it was, I'm, I'm sorry if you disagree with this, but the unions, they were started by mafia. They operated with mafia-style management. That, it, 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 that's how they were born. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad, good, evil, or indifferent. I'm just saying that that's, there's where it is. So if you think you're just going to go up to the any union door in the United States with its history in the United States coming from its history of where it came from, knock on the door and say, here, here's a new asset class that I want you to invest in. If you think you're going to get nothing but the cold shoulder or God forbid worse, then you're fooling yourself. Right? So hats off to this Bay guy. I hope he's, you know, hope he has some, uh, some success, but it is an uphill battle talking to unions about introducing new assets or whole asset classes to their retirement structure. Okay. I'm just saying, and with that, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. I got a joke. Dad says jokes. I ordered a book, how to scam people. It was under the four smart people category. Still, after five months, I haven't received it. Maybe the sender forgot. Goes perfectly well. Dovetails incredibly well with the getting scammed for $4.5 million worth of tether. Don't let that shit happen to you. All right, let's see. What do we got here for comments? I saw one that that I thought was pretty good. Uh, see if I can find it again. Do do. Oh yeah, KIC or Kick, one thousand year empire, top level management. No shit. That happened for a reason. The 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 Roman Empire is. I keep thinking that that it's it's very hard to to get the concept. It had nothing to do with the size of their fighting force. And it had nothing to do with the bloodthirst that the emperors had for expansion of the empire. It had nothing to do with those things. It had their ability to do that, to enact any of those, to get an army that big, was because they were good at management. To expand, to use that military, to expand their empire, they could have had a huge military. But if they had had shitty management as they executed what it is that they wanted to do with that military, then they would have just lost their military. It was only because of their management of fighting that they were able to succeed. It was only their management that allowed them to build the kind of armies that they built. It was only through management that they were able to build the kind of naval force that they had. And they had a navy. 
they ruled the Mediterranean. They could be anywhere within, you know, a week. And that's, which is a long time in today's, today's, you know, the way we think about today and trading information and being able to get on a plane and be on the other side of the planet in 12 hours. But back then, being able to sail across the Mediterranean Sea to Egypt and pound on Cleopatra in a week, that was a, nobody had ever seen that. And it was all because of management. All of it had nothing to do with the quality of their ships. I mean, it had something to do. At least they didn't, all they had to do was make sure that they didn't sink. But their management enabled them to build better ships. Their management enabled them to build a lot of ships. Their management enabled them to get the raw materials to build those ships. And their management enabled them to get the materials from the point that they were cutting the trees down to the point where they were already fashioned into timbers that they could actually build the ship with. It has nothing to do except it has nothing to do with anything but management. And that's all in the union. That's all in the unions. Now they've lost a lot of that because they've become stupid over the years, but that's where they were. That's where they were from. Um, (laughs) Hold on. What was that? What did I see? Never was fished. Only boat loss (laughs) from ZPL BZX. Thanks, man. Uh, James says, I really like this workflow. I do too. I appreciate that. Uh, Oh, KIC also uh, is saying they created the road network of Europe. Again, management. It's not just somebody with an idea. It's how do you execute that? I have ideas all all the time. They all, I mean, it's like, and they're all good ideas. The ones that I've executed have failed miserably because I suck at management. That's really what it boils down to. One of these days I'll pull one off, but you know, it's going to, it's going to boil down to execution given management, not because it's a good idea. I, in fact, management would make a bad idea more successful than shitty management would make a good idea successful. You you have a better chance passing off a bad idea and actually having it work than a good idea. If you don't have the management chops. That's just, it It boils down to all that. That's just what it boils down to. Okay, with all that said, I'm having some problems navigating uh, the way that zap.stream, it's hard to get it to like uh, stay in one place without jumping. So uh, let's see if I can do one, a couple more. Enjoyed a little out of the edit shout. Thank you, sir. No, thank you, kick. Uh, okay. Oh, and there's a huge boost here somewhere. Um, right at the front of the show, if I believe right, I want to, and I want to give a shout out to kid warp for the 2.1 thousand Satoshis, 2,100 Satoshis. Thank you, kid warp. I really appreciate that. I know that that represents your time on this planet. You've given that time to me. I will try to be as good of a steward with your time on this planet that you've given me that I possibly can be with that said, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.